Thank you so much for being here tonight. If, if the charge of the elder this morning to be at, present at all meetings of the congregation worked, then great. Uh, we hope it lasts all year long. We're so grateful to have you and grateful to have the college students back. I don't usually sit there and I just enjoy your beautiful singing. So thanks for being here. You are a vital part of this congregation forever long you are here. I'm glad you're putting roots. Put them here. Don't go anywhere. Stay here wherever long you are. We're missing our teens tonight because they're gone to encourage the congregation at Selma. And I'm glad they are. And be encouraged by the uh, fellowship with other teens. That's a, that's a very important thing. Uh, growing up overseas, uh, I had very little contact with, uh, with other teens of, of um, my age that uh, were of faith. And so I know the value of just knowing uh, whether you're in a congregation of just two teens or, or more knowing that there are others of uh, likewise faith of your age. It's a very important thing. I chose the topic of tonight based upon two things. One, the baby boomers class is in the Gospel of John, and they have allowed me, given me the privilege to kind of lead the thoughts, and uh, we've been in the Gospel of John. And we haven't come to chapter 10 yet, but I am tonight because I was driven here by the occasion, which was that this morning we had the yearly address of the elders. And it wasn't about budget or finance, even though, of course, those have been the discussions have been on their mind lately. But it was a wonderful, marvelous, uh, encouraging charge that they gave us. And so I am resolved, Brother Dean. (laughs) Thank you. And I am going to look around myself in the context that I am, Brother, Brother Steve. And, uh, and uh, I thank you, Brother McKee, for, uh, for the, the way in which you finished out that, uh, that um, encouraging, let's do better in this year than we ever have. It's, it's, let's take advantage of the change of uh, the calendar, so to speak, to, to uh, remember that we cannot stay with the status quo, that we must grow, we must do better, and that the purpose of the church is to seek and to save the lost. And so missions is always going to be, as long as we have this eldership, this leadership, is going to be a major component of what we do and who we are. And uh, we cannot settle for status quo. We must do better in 2016. So are you resolved? Are you committed? Will you be present? Will you be here? Will you be here to, to help do all of the above? Will you respond to that? I hope that we all will um, do that. So our shepherds gave us a charge this morning, and so that's the uh, tie-in, I guess you could have, with the topic, which comes from John chapter 10, was read to you before the first 21 verses approximately. We're going to read them again. They're going to be on the text uh, again, but I guess since you haven't been thinking about this topic, it'll like, kind of like lead you in to uh, a, an expository sermon. Let, the, let the, the text, the teaching of Jesus, if I could stay out of the way, I wish I could, and just let him do the teaching. That's what I would hope to be done. You, your Bible should be open to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, so you can uh, go there on your own when I am using other references. The Good Shepherd. 
I don't know where you would start. If you were given this topic, you had to write an article on it, you had to pin some thoughts for the bulletin, whatever it was, where would you start? Well, of course, uh, the first thing I think of is the 23rd Psalm, the hymn book of the ancient Israelites. And I go to the shepherd boy who penned this uh, hymn. And so from personal experience in his growing up years as a shepherd boy, David pens these marvelous words, and they're not all on the, on the screen, but uh, you'll recall them. You know them better than I. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So the shepherd turns around and says, I have a shepherd. And because of the kind of shepherd I have, I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And given that um, uh, I could spend all my time on on this alone, but but this is just the teaser, the appetizer, just a reminder. Mind us that in Scripture... The, the, the role, the, uh, the uh, metaphor of shepherd is used oftentimes, and it's used for good, as in this case. It's all sometimes used for bad as well. There are negative and positive, as this one is, images of the divine as shepherd and humans as shepherds as well. The shepherd is one of the most cherished symbols of the divine, of God. God is a shepherd. And then we hear in John chapter 10, speaking in the year 29 AD, Jesus in Jerusalem says, I am the good shepherd. So this is applied not only to God the Father, but God the Son as well. The divine as a whole claims this image for you and I. It is not... Something that happens in, in this spiritual world, so to speak. It is an earthly thing, a shepherd, a sheep herder, if you want to look at it that way. But it conveys, when it's applied to the divine, the idea of God's care for his people, which is necessitated by the tendency that you and I have, as we are imperfect, as we live in a fallen world, to put ourselves in danger's way, to think that we are capable of directing ourselves, and we are not. We are not capable. We stumble, we fall, we don't know which way to go, and we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. That's why this is one of the most powerful images that there are. The images that you see on the screen that accompany the points That one's taken from Caesarea by the sea. It's one of the places where the Apostle Paul spent two years under house arrest waiting for a trial between the year 57 and 59. And no, this statue, the one on the the left, is not from the time that Paul was there because Christianity was still a new sacked a new, a new faith and it was developing and uh, did not have church buildings and it, it did not have art but it did have symbols that will attach itself to and the one of Jesus as the shepherd and Jesus as the lamb as well that's on the shoulders of the shepherd that one's 
there from Christians that lived decades, if not a couple of centuries after Paul. They, they put there where Paul spent two years being held in prison, house arrest for his faith in that shepherd. They left behind this symbol. The one on the right is what it evidently used to look like. It's a copy of the symbol of early Christians of the good shepherd. And it's in the Vatican Museum in Rome. But the other one, the one that's broken up and in pieces, was found in the ruins of Caesarea by the sea, Maritima. A shepherd. A shepherd is a symbol of, since you and I don't do this, we are not aware of it, it's a symbol of protection. It's a symbol of protection. I need protection. Recommit in the new calendar year to the fact that we are not self-sufficient, that we can't do it on our own, that much as we try, much as sometimes we fool ourselves or others think of us as independent, as capable, as intelligent, smart. I can do my own thing. We are not. We need protection. We need care. There are times when the The bumps of life, the tragedies of life, the accidents of life, the diseases of life remind us we need the care of an almighty God, of a good shepherd. We we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd that is tender. That's one of the aspects of a shepherd. He is tender. A good shepherd shows in his dealings with those that he takes care of he deals, it's a characteristic of, of a shepherd to, to show in the way that he manages his sheep tenderness. And one of the things that we're going to have to conclude these thoughts in the few minutes that I have is on sacrifice. That's one of the key characteristics of a good shepherd. They sacrifice themselves for their sheep. They give up of their time, of their emotions They give up of their study. They give up of their life even. They're willing to lay down their life for their sheep because they understand the importance. The image that you have on the screen is taken from the early Christian cemeteries of Rome of the 3rd century A.D. And it represents not what Christ looked like, but what he was to them and he is to us. The good shepherd. And he takes care of his sheep. And he did it 17 centuries ago to those that live in the capital of Rome under Roman persecution. And he does it with us today as well. He's still the good shepherd and we are his sheep. Thinking about that, I've had occasion before to to tell you that I have never done shepherding and I have to look up the a nature of sheep. And it seems to me that we should react uh, negatively to being called sheep. I don't know about you, but as soon as I read about the uh, nature of sheep, I say, hey, wait a minute. You're putting me down here. You call me sheep. By the way, the image up at the top is one of a ram, a, a male sheep, that's also found in the ruins of Caesarea by the sea where Paul spent two years. So how interesting that two images, two statues, two symbols of early Christian faith are present in the ruins of that particular place. Sheep have poor eyesight. They can't see. And how how symbolic, how important, how significant is that? We think we can see straight. 
We think spiritually that we got it all down, Pat. We think we got scripture figured out. And that's when we stop studying. We don't commit to reading the Bible every day. We don't need to pray. I'll do it when I absolutely have to. Poor eyesight. Poor spiritual eyesight. Just like sheep. It's like being permanently out of focus. If you took my glasses on, that's what I would be. You would be a blur. Little sense of direction. That's what sheep, they can't tell north from south. They're challenged, geographically speaking. They don't know which way is north. Spiritually speaking, we act sometimes like we think we know where north is, but when we detach ourselves from Scripture, when we start getting instructions for, from, from men or men written books instead of Scripture, we lose our way. We go the wrong places. We follow fads. Instead of following the way that is pointed to by God, by his apostles, by the early church, we have little sense of direction. And that's why the metaphor, the figure of speech, as John chapter 10 and verse 6 says, figure of speech of a shepherd and we being the sheep is appropriate. So get used to it, is what scripture is telling me. You are. Smart and intelligent and worthy, but you also need a shepherd because you have no sense of direction without it. They are defenseless, and you and I are defenseless against Satan. We are defenseless. We cannot, we cannot oppose him. He knows only, he knows that our only hope of defeating him is if we put our trust completely in God and in his word and in nothing else. Then we are already victorious. And through prayer and through faithfulness to scripture, we are not defenseless, but we are defenseless without it. Sheep tuck their legs in when they're threatened. Now that'll do you a lot of good when a wild dog or a wolf attacks. What do you think? Just tuck your legs in. Spiritually speaking, sometimes I think that's what we do. We act like fools and tuck our legs in. Well, that's not going to do it. It doesn't do it for a sheep and it doesn't do it for us, spiritually speaking. We act silly, spiritually speaking, sometimes, just like sheep. Silly enough to where if one of the sheep starts jumping over an imaginary fence, the others follow. We jump over imaginary fences. Sheep do that. I got to see that sometime. That sounds hilarious. I got to see that. But it's tragic when we do it. We jump over fences that don't exist. We don't put our eyeglasses on. We don't follow the shepherd. They will follow without discrimination. And that's the the issue. We we have been given intelligence and ability to know where truth is. And we have the ability to discern. But when we don't use it, when we don't use the characteristics that are ours, young or old, Whatever your age is, whatever our age is, when we don't use the capacity to discriminate, then we are just like silly, silly sheep. And we follow whoever seems to be most charismatic or most uh, entertaining to us on this particular day. One of the most tragic things sheep do is they, they will not get up to go to water. They will not get out of their pen. They will not get up where they are. And so they will literally dehydrate themselves to death. 
They, when we separate ourselves from Scripture, we, we kill ourselves. The living water, when we separate ourselves from the true living Jesus and his story, we are like sheep who forget to go to water. I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, I fit the bill. I am one of those animals who has the capacity to be silly, kill himself, I don't have good eyesight. I don't know which way to go. And so I need, I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. And so do you. Now the image of a shepherd is not always positive, especially when it's applied to men. In scripture there are negative takes on on shepherds. And this is where there's a warning. It's a flashing light for you and I. I'm in Isaiah chapter 56 verses 9 through 12. And here you see out of this text which I hope you can read, I hope it's not too small. There's an example of men who are supposed to lead but are being selfish about themselves and are making their leadership about themselves. And that still happens today. And here's the warning coming from the prophet Isaiah, 7th century before Christ. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs that cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned away to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow we will be like this day, great beyond measure. Prophet Isaiah is talking about the children of Israel who have leaders that say, hey, let's throw a party. We don't have any enemies. We don't have a problem. We don't need to watch out. Today will be just like tomorrow. And that's, of course, not true. All you have to do is check out the history of the children of Israel. We are supposed to take note from it. In Scripture, the negative take on a shepherd is when there are men who don't understand the responsibility and the function of being shepherds. In Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 1 through 4, here we have the example of evil shepherds. And so the lesson for us today is like in the Old Testament, do we see them? Do we recognize them? Are we aware that they're present in every time? Evil shepherds. This is the text that I read and you have it behind me on the screen. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. They shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. David, of course, grew up as a shepherd, a shepherd boy. The image that you have on the screen is taken in Jerusalem. That's where I get to see shepherds a lot when I get to go there. It's one of the most dramatic things. You're traveling along a modern-day highway, and you can see across the barbed wire, because there are a lot of 
blocks and police points, you can see a shepherd, a Palestinian shepherd, just over there on the other side of the hill. It's kind of neat. You got a Mercedes Benz traveling next to you and got sheep and shepherds that seem they come from 20 centuries ago still. He was raised to be the second king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, and his CV, his training, his curriculum was not some elite college somewhere, but it was shepherding. Shepherding. That's where he, he learned things about life, and he learned about leadership, too, and responsibility. And he learned about God in the, in the solitude of day in and day out, from morning to night, taking care of some defenseless animals. That's how David grew up and learned about sheep. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. The context is one where the shepherd boy has gone to give sandwiches to his three brothers who are there at the battle with the Philistines, but then there's Goliath yelling from the other side of the valley. And uh, he goes to Saul, the king. And Saul is not going to fight the giant either. And David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I stopped a minute at that image. Okay, you grabbed the lion by the beard. Okay, my sense of respect for David has just gone up a few notches. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. A shepherd boy, teenager, however old he was, stands up when grown men, fighters, and people with armature and trained military men won't. The shepherd boy says, I fought lions and bears and God's helped me through that. Somebody's got to fight this giant in the name of God. The shepherd boy. There's another Old Testament prophet. Don't have time to say much about him, but I remembered Amos as one of the. That's the that seems to be okay with God that a shepherd should be also a prophet, not just a king, but also a prophet. Amos, Amos, the uh, the shepherd of Tekoa, he's called. He's from the south. He's from Judea, but he's going to have it to leave his sheep and his fellow shepherds. He's going to have to go north to give a message. And there are nine chapters of that prophetic book that you might want to read as he fulfilled his role as a shepherd that was asked to be a prophet, a spokesman for God. I hope you also made the connection with the fact that in the Greek New Testament, that's the language it was written in, there are three words that are used for those that are to lead the church as we saw so effectively this morning. They're called episkopos in the text of Acts chapter 20. Or they're called presbyteros, that's the Greek words, but they're also called poimen. And that's, poimen is the word that translated into Latin in the Vulgate version of the Bible means pastor. Not the sense of pastor that's used in the denominational world, but pastor in the sense of elder, overseer, one who takes care of the flock. 
So the context is the year 56. Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey. He's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. And he stops by Miletus, which is just a few miles south of Ephesus, where he spent three years. And there's an eldership there. He has them come down. And he gives them a tearful warning. Watch out. I'm not going to get to see you again. There's going to be... Hard stuff coming up, and you need to, and here's the charge. I'm reading from Acts chapter 20 behind me on the screen. Pay careful attention, Paul says to the elders at at Ephesus, to yourselves and to all the, here it is, flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, poimen, pastors, is the word, presbyteros, episcopos, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, And here's the continuation of that illustration, that metaphor. Um, Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. John chapter 10 is the good shepherd, and now I'm going to read it. It follows the story of Jesus healing a man that was born blind from birth, and Jesus heals him and makes a lesson out of it. That's chapter 9. Chapter 9, the one that precedes his teaching of Jesus as he claims to be the good shepherd, is a lesson warning the listener, watch out for blind leaders. And chapter 10 is, watch out for evil, selfish shepherds. Watch out who you follow. Choose carefully. It's a shift from blindness, spiritual blindness will cause you to lose your soul, to watch out who's your shepherd and remember you are sheep that need the guidance of good shepherds. It contains, this text, two of the I am's of Jesus that are so wonderful and upon whom we could draw a lesson all by itself. But what it does ultimately, this John chapter 10, is demand that you and I recognize Jesus for who he is and stop diddly-daddling and going back and forth and one week being cold and the next week being hot and back and forth. Make up your mind. Jesus is the Son of God. Here is the text of the first 11 verses. I bring it again for your sake. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears voice, and he calls his own sheep by his name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The text then says they didn't understand the people that first heard Jesus say this in Jerusalem. They didn't understand his teaching. So Jesus again said, verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So a true shepherd 
enters by the gate. Um, This is uh, a real image from Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Still today, you see the demarcations of the fields and the little, uh, you grab stones out of the rocky soil, you make a little little wall, parapet, that goes up about two to three feet and that marks both uh, the limits of each field and it also makes for a little protection. And you see that the shepherd is sitting right there. This guy just happened to be sitting right at the gate. I am the door. I am the shepherd. You are the sheep. A true shepherd knows them by name. A true shepherd knows them by name. Knows his animals by name. I don't know how on earth you could tell the difference, but I guess if you live with them day in and day out, you get to know them. And that is the daunting task that our elders here have. 400 precious souls plus visitors. That's, if you do the math, that's 80 plus for each elder. If they divide it that way, I don't know how they do that. But think of the needing to know the concerns, praying for of 80 plus people. Continually, without ceasing. A true shepherd knows them by name. A true shepherd, they will recognize the sheep by his voice and follow him instinctively. I read about a story from World War I, so it goes back about a century now, in which some Turkish soldiers were stationed in what is now Israel, but wasn't back then, it was in British territories during World War I. And they were starving, and so they uh, went to some sheep that were down in the ravine and pulled them up to where they were. And the sheep, as sheep do, were simply following them, not knowing that they were going to be supper. Because those Turkish soldiers were absolutely... The shepherd who had no rifle, no weapon to counter the Turkish soldiers, just simply ran in the opposite direction, up the ravine and the other hill. And then from the other side, he began to call. This is not made up. It's a real story. I reckon that explains. The sheep turned around and started following the voice that they knew. They left what was going to be destruction for them that night and went to the safety of their shepherd on the other side. So it's true. The sheep know the shepherd by his voice. A thief, on the other hand, does not come in by the door. A thief comes in over the wall or if the... Protection uh, uh, for the sheep is made out of thorns. He, he comes over those thorns. Either way, he doesn't come in by the gate. He doesn't come in by the gate. Here's the point. You must know that God does not deceive. It does not take you to be a simpleton. God comes at you without deception, no trick. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know you. I made you. I know what you need. I will take care of you. No deceit. Jesus comes to us publicly. He preached publicly for three years, not in some secretive cult somewhere in a corner. He comes to us clearly. We know what he wants. We understand. He's unique. There's never been anyone like him in the history of the world. He is powerful, he's unequivocal. 
So if you choose not to follow him, you're making a conscious choice to not follow. But it's not because we are confused or don't understand what's going on. You see, Jesus enters through the door. He comes to you and I face to face. And he says, follow me. I will take care of you. I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. I'm the only door. There are no other doors. There's not a back door, side door. There's one door. It's exclusivity that he claims. But he also knows that false shepherds have arisen before him and false shepherds are going to come. And they are rising still in our day. And sometimes they're outside of our fellowship and sometimes they're inside of our fellowship. And we have to watch out. John chapter 14, Jesus said, Take it or leave it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And anyone that comes in any other way except through the door, well, you're a smart fella. What do you think? It was in the news just uh, November the 11th, 2014. Quite peculiar. A guy was stuck between two walls in Colorado, a place called Longmont. Colorado. He was stuck between two walls for three days. He just about died. Now, they discovered after somebody finally heard his voice crying out, he was trying to drop notes from the very tight spot he had put himself into through a crack in the wall, but it hadn't reached anybody. Finally, somebody heard the voice. He was injured and couldn't get out, and he was going to die there. Now, He was in between two walls by a department store called Marshall's Department Store. He'd been there for three days. Now, here's the question. Why didn't he come in the front door? Why did he go in the roof? That's a no-brainer. He was going through the roof because he was going to steal something, to take something. He was a thief. And he just about paid for it with his life. How silly. Now, that's a real... Item from the news. Spiritually speaking, we'll let somebody come in through, well, the walls or somewhere except the front door with clarity. Who are you? What do you want? You want me to follow you because? Well, I am the door. There are, of course, tragically many examples throughout history of religious leaders that are really not interested in the things of God and really not interested in your or my uh, salvation or soul they claim it they're good with words in the renaissance there were at least four popes that i could list from alexander the sixth to uh, julius the second to leo the tenth to the list goes on but lest you think i i'm trying to simply undermine my catholic friends no no in our time kip mckean is a name within our fellowship that claimed that we should follow him as a modern day apostle modern-day super-shepherd, or something like that. And he, too, claimed the wrong thing. Today we have scandals that are related to religious leaders uh, in denominations and various movements, and we know by those scandals we're reminded again they're doing what they do for the wrong reason. Others, who are quite sincere not insincere like some, depart from the teachings of Scripture. They create their own flocks, their own followings. They create their own cults, and they create their own church. The faith that they advertise becomes about them. It hinges on them. It stands or falls on them. When they leave a particular church, they take half the people with them or more. Then you know that it's about them. It's really not about God. It's not about shepherding the flock 
that is of God. Jesus was not surprised when thieves and robbers tried to carry off the flock. He knew that there are two forces that want you. There's the one who created you, and there's the one that wants to take you down with him. I came, says Jesus, that they may have light and might have it abundantly. The only one that can follow up with that kind of promise, with that kind of declaration, is the Son of God. The only one. No one else can say that and deliver. They're liars. And Satan is the father of lies. He's the only one. The words of Jesus in John 10 are not just words. You see, Jesus lived his life as a true shepherd. He lived it out. He didn't just give up a beautiful speech about how he was the door and he was the shepherd. He showed no manipulation, no trickery. He walked through the door... He knew that those whose hearts were turned to God, you and me, would hear his voice and respond regardless of what the rest of the world did. You and I are going to listen for his voice this year, and we're going to look for him through the front door, and we're going to know that he's going to take care of us. The rest of the text goes like this. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, Sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Wow, what claims that carpenter from Nazareth made 20 centuries ago. Here is his definition of a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. Five times in this text, in the text of John 10, and in the speech that he gave, he emphasized, I laid down, I laid down. They didn't take it from me. I laid it down. I give it up. You want a definition of a good shepherd? There it is. You want to know, recognize the good shepherd? There it is. Will you give your life for me? Will you give your life for me? Mark chapter 15 is the only of the one of the Gospels that talks about the final hours of Jesus before his death and says that besides the beating, the uh, trials during the night of Thursday, the arrest of the mob, it says they bound him. They bound him. I don't know that that's an important, but here is an important thing that I'd like to reference, I'd like to make in reference to what he says. I tell you, this is how you recognize a good shepherd. He lays down his life for sheep. The ropes that were used to bind Jesus, that were used to tie his hands, were not necessary. Nobody forced him to go do that. 
the binding of Jesus' hands was incidental. It's what the Roman guards thought they needed to do, but they didn't. The mob that arrested him came with clubs, and Jesus said, Why are you coming to me with weapons? Have I ever come to you with weapons? If I didn't want to be here in Gethsemane uh, for you to arrest me, I wouldn't be here. This is how a good shepherd does. He lays down his life for the sheep. I know that we're all responsible for the death of Jesus. The Roman soldiers were, Pilate was, the Jews were, we are. But here's the point that I'm making from this text. It was not the soldiers who killed him. And it was not the screams, crucify him, crucify him, of the mob. That's not what killed him. It was his devotion to you and me that killed him. And that's how you recognize a good shepherd. So, you and I are going up the hill with a bunch of Turkish soldiers. And across the valley, across the ravine, do you hear the voice? He stands on the other hill, on the other side of the ravine, as you and I are heading the wrong way. And he says, come home. The question is, do you hear him? The question is, do you and I recognize his voice? If you do, and you need to put yourself under that shepherd, Would you come as we stand and sing?